We're just about at the halfway mark for the Saratoga season, and if you haven't signed up for Naira Bets, what are you waiting for? New Naira Bets members can join today and get a sign-up bonus of up to $200 with the promo code Rewind. Head over to NairaBets.com today, sign up with the promo code Rewind, and earn your $200 bonus now. Terms and conditions do apply. Welcome to episode 47 of Redboard Rewind. I'm your host, Spencer Luganbeal. And today, my special guest is one of my favorite podcast guests, Matt Vagvolgi. Today, we go over three races from last Saturday's Travers Cart in Saratoga, races 6, 7, and 8. And some angles we talk about are how a solid workout pattern can help you find a nice overlaid maiden winner. Is Bellafina outside of California, unbettable? And does racing need a bunker of stewards for all inquiries? This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old story. And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest this week, Matt Vagvolgi. Matt, how are you today? Spencer, doing great. Great to uh, great to be back with you. Super excited to have you back on the show. We were trying to think of guys to have for the Traverse Day car. I said I couldn't think of having. He's like, we were like, we've had Matt. He was like a month or so ago. I said, let's have him right back. Let's have him back for the double, the daily double. There you go. Short, short off the layoff. I'm ready to fire. <laughs> <laughs> we've obviously, like we said, had you on once before. We've talked your angles and stuff. Now that we're about halfway, a little bit more through the uh, Saratoga meet, kind of talk to me about what you're looking for or trying to change since the beginning of the meet. Obviously, Chad Brown has been struggling. Joel Rosario is high on the jockey standings. Uh, what other stuff are you looking at as well? Yeah, I, I think those two things are important, uh, especially when somebody – now, when I say – you know, when Chad Brown's struggling, I put that in quotations. I still think – He's he's still firing, but he's just not the not at the level that we're expecting from Chad Brown. I think that's when, unfortunately, when when you're as as good as Chad is, uh, and you're not putting up the uh, the types of numbers that uh, that are just ungodly. You know, you start to to question whether or not you know he's starting to decline. I look at it a bit differently, and I think it also goes the other way, like you mentioned with uh, with with Rosario, um, just in terms of price. But I think it's 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 important to look at it from a couple different angles. I think. I like the profile tracks before the meet starts and I look at different post positions. I look at different tracks, especially something like the inner turf. That's a little bit quirky in terms of, um, you know, it could be uh, a jockey's type of track uh, in terms of understanding the, the actual configuration and just looking to compare historics versus how the meet has gone so far. So I like to try to kind of check back in and, and do those comparisons uh, along with a couple of things we just mentioned. But I also think too, it's important to look back at your betting. Right, to take a look at the different pools that I participated in, you know, pick fives, doubles, whatever the case may be. And that's why I think it's important to concentrate what I call your serious money to a single ADW. And, and we've talked about it before, but, but that's what I do. I have, uh, you know, an ADW that is my, what I refer to as my serious money, my bankroll. And then there's another ADW that I kind of mess around with. I'll look for that action play, that five, ten dollar play or whatever the case may be. I'll use that. But the reason why I like to separate is because I want to know when I'm putting my serious bets in my well thought, well planned strategic bets. I want to know how I'm doing. And I think it's important when you're, when you're halfway through a meet to take a look back to see how successful are you? 
Um, you know, maybe a singular win is giving you the wrong impression that, say, maybe your pick fives are better than your doubles or whatever the case may be. The numbers don't lie. And I just think it gives you a good update, a good sense of where your money's going, where the rate of return has been, and, you know, where you've been successful and, and, and where you're not. And, you know, again, just to touch on the, a couple of things you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, once the word gets out of, of Rosario and Clement together, it's just you're paying such a heavy tax on these horses now. That's just the way it, the way it always is. And, you know, for me, I, I just, just sending out that tweet of how good Rosario is on the inner turf, you see a lot of horses that I think that I think are, are, you know, moderate players at best that are just taking significant money. And I think that that spells opportunity. You know, again, it all comes down to the horse. It comes down to the field, the, 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 the pace setup, all those things I think come into play. You should never be married to a stat. And this is the, one of the things I like to bring up a lot that I think is, is the misperception sometimes of, of myself. I think we, we touched on the last time was, you know, you're just waiting for an algorithm to spit out a horse and that's how you play. That's, that's not the case. I, I just, I want statistics to help me focus in the right areas, but then my handicapping, the, the, the other side of things, by looking at the pace, looking at the field and, and, and just, you know, looking at past performances, does the stat hold up or should I, should I look differently? I think you're going to get some value. I really think you're going to get some value on some mediocre horses that just because of the connections are, are, are producing, uh, you know, are, 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 that have been producing here to get some good prices, uh, you know, with others, the Chad Brown side, I'm looking for Chad to kind of slip off a little bit because listen, Chad Brown has proven that he's a phenomenal, phenomenal trainer, no doubt future hall of famer. There's no question about it. And when it starts, you know, some of these horses start to slip and another statistic I looked at, he's only one for six with horses that are under, you know, two to one or less. So the, the, the folks, the, the, uh, the horses that are taking money uh, are not getting it done, but those are horses that as they float up, I think they create value on that end. And I think you may see some, some horses that are over bet with uh, Joel Rosario and, and Colossi even up. So, yeah, I mean, those are the real things that, that I look at kind of midterm and, and look to see what's holding up, where are some opportunities and where I may need to change my tack. It was funny, Andy, a couple of weeks ago, I think, put out a tweet where he said, uh, this Rosario Clement horse doesn't even look good on paper, and these people are pounding it down to 6-5. to five. And after the race, obviously, Clement won, and Kristoff came out with a tweet and just said, well, that's why. And I thought that was the tweet of the uh, the tweet of the meet so far. Uh, some other things to talk about track profile and stuff like that. How much do you do, do it by a week? Do you do it by, you know, every other week, like biweekly? How often are you looking to see how your algorithm slash, you know, profile is fitting into what you thought before the meet started? Well, I, I think it's actually, it, it's pretty easy. And it's one of the big reasons I like using stats race lens is because once you set these types of angles where you really do have an opportunity to do so much, I mean, you can really from top to bottom as general as post positions to, I mean, you can drill down to the, to the particular jockey the trainer, the distance, the track, it could be the condition of the track. So you can really be as general or specific as you like. The best part is once you set them in place, they remain there and they automatically update as the days go on. So what I'll do is, you know, if I see like, for instance, I'll bring this up with one of the, one of the races we'll chat about is just post position on the turf on the outside. Historically has, has just routing on the turf on uh, being posted on the outside has been, been pretty difficult. And, I compare, I, what I like to do is take a look at, okay, that's the historic number that's making me at least think about it. But then let me look at what's gone on in the last couple of weeks, what's gone on in the last month. Has that changed? And, and, you know, should I be looking at it a bit differently? So 
it's a way that I look at it every every day just because it's easy, because it's already built in for me that I can take a look at the recency versus the historics. And, and again, it's that process of, you know, and I think there's something to follow too, like with the relationship of Rosario and Clement, I, I would take a look comparatively of the recency versus what the meat has done. And maybe you start to see a trend going the other way. Maybe you start to see, you know, these, these prices get hammered so much that it's just, it's not worth the value to try to invest in these types of horses where, you know, I, I it's pretty easy for me to take, to take that look, but I do look at it on a regular basis to see what the current trend is versus the, the longer term stores. One of the Mark Kramer books that he talks about hot trainers and his idea of a hot trainer isn't all oh, the guy won six in a week. It's did he win two races at a mutual paying higher than $10? And I love that because we all know Chad's going to win, you know, five or six a week. Pletch is going to win five or six. They're all going to be at short prices. You want to find those trainers that maybe only have, you know, six, seven, like, you know, four or five wins on the on the meet. But they do have, you know, that $12, $15 mutual every time. Yeah. Yeah, no, for, for, for sure. And I think that's. You know, you're looking for not only the the quality of the results. That's why I like to compare the win percentage versus the ROI. I think they tell two different stories. Mm -hmm. Sometimes together they tell their own story. Um, So I think that's important. And I also, you know, there's certain angles I look for the end of money uh, uh, percentage too. Of of just how competitive, like for especially for trainers, you know, how competitive are these horses in a specific setting uh, over over time? Um, The one I hold a little bit more water. And I think this is more of just an athlete thing is, is the kind of the, is the hot jockey profile. Mm-hmm. I just think as an athlete, sometimes you just feel like you can't lose and you just have this, like this numbing feeling of just adrenaline going through you. Like, yeah, I might not be competitive on paper, but I know exactly how to get this horse in the race and to put him in the right spot. And I just feel like I'm going to win this thing. I've had that feeling in my hockey days. I just, I feel like jockeys have that feeling too. So I give that a little bit more credence, but you know, again, it's all about price, right? It's all about the, the, uh, one of the most frustrating conversations I have in horse racing is value. But I think that's what you need to look for is, is coming up with your idea of what is the true value. One of the biggest things that I do at the end of the day is create a fair value for horses in a race. And I look to see where the deviation is, you know, is it, is it a price higher that I should be concerned or is it a price that I'm willing to jump on, or is it just significantly below that I, I really can't touch it? It's not worth the, the value of my dollars. Not worth the value of the price I'm getting in the pools. It's interesting when you talk about value lines. I think that's something that, and this is a great topic too to come up. How much do people want to put into the races? Do they want to become professional gamblers? Do they want to just do it as a hobby? But I still feel like as a hobby, like when I was just doing, you know, Babe Ruth baseball when I was 14. I was still going to batting practice, and I was still trying to field, you know, grounders after practice and stuff like that to get better. I feel like some people, they just send it in a lot with horse racing. And for me, it's difficult when you see someone, you know, hits a pick five, maybe, and they make $50 on it because their ticket structure might have been bad. And they just get crushed by Twitter. Meanwhile, these idiots haven't played a pick five all day, or, you know, they may not even be playing that meat, and they just crush people. And there's no, you know, I talk about with Mike Samich all the time, like, Poker has two plus two forums, and they have these things where everyone's uplifting and helpful and all that. I just we don't have that all for horse racing. That's really what I think is detrimental to this game. I agree, especially on the pick five side. That's that's primarily where where a lot of my play goes. Let me tell you, it's not it's not easy. <laughs> there, there's there's a lot of ups and downs playing that bet. It's a difficult bet to hit uh, when you do hit. I I just think overall, I think it's the best opportunity for you to make a big score at the track, but. Again, it all comes down to what your bankroll is, what your opinions are. You know, I, I would say one thing, Spencer, I've gotten away from from early days of playing. 
I went from, I'm going to play the pick five today and then start handicapping to let me handicap and do my process and then decide if my opinions fit Mm -hmm. inside the pick five or whatever sequence they fit into. So it sounds very basic and very straightforward, but I think that even happens with tournaments too, where I would just buy into tournaments and then say, all right, let's take a look. Right. Where now I do the complete reverse, where if I'm handicapping a card and I like a lot of stuff, I'll then take a peek to see if there are any online contests I can jump into because I have the opinion. So therefore, I think that, you know, my dollars will be well, well placed investing in these types of uh, whether it's a tournament or types of pools. So I think that's one of the basic things I think I've taken forward for all these years is just finding your opinions and then kind of react out to see where, where it fits in, in the sequence of the card. I, I think it's also not to make another poker, you know, analogy, but people will be card dead for four hours in a tournament and not bat an Be like, Oh, yep. Card dead lost the tournament anyway, but they must play every single race in the card. And I get it. Poker is played every couple minutes. There's a race every 20 minutes, but you watch people like Andy Serling. He's watching a race on Thursday, but he's also handicapping for Saturday. There's always extra races to be handicapping for. And I just feel like discipline, patience. It's just something that the game could do better with. And I also feel, at least from my perspective, to get the young people into the game, stuff like Stable Duel, stuff that isn't exactly where the learning threshold is so high. Stable Duel, anybody can start it. It's less money. You're not playing $5 a race for 50 bucks. You're playing $5 for just the one tournament. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the entry points to get into stuff like that, to get get a feel for the game, because then I think it just you, you start to see things differently maybe the confidence starts to come where you see a particular angle or a a particular thing that you like and you start to build on that maybe through 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 the windows but yeah i i mean just again i i can only use myself as an example but if you look at my my line in horse racing i mean no one ever taught me horse racing no one in my family was ever into it i kind of started from scratch on my own and if you look at me today my handle has gone up significantly but my frequency of play has gone down tremendously Mm mm-hmm and I, I just I take it from from a good friend of mine that's been a professional sports better for you know three plus decades. You know the reason why folks don't have success with casino table games or you know look at look at slot machines is the two things that are against you, whether they stand alone or combined, are time and frequency. If you participate in time and frequency, you're gonna you're gonna fail at whatever gambling adventure you're going into. And I I just took that as he's right. If you play every single race constantly all the time, the just the the law of averages, the success strike rate, you're gonna lose. You're gonna have a negative ROI where if you take a step back and maybe use your capital strategically on less events, less races, your 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 percentage goes up. I mean that's that's the way you beat those table games. You come in, you hit, you leave. Right. Hard to do. Right. But it's it's the way to do it. I've, I've taken that mentality to horse racing. And I think, to be honest with you, that's where I've really seen significant jumps in my ROI, where, you know, I do look at this as a supplement to my overall income picture. I never thought I'd say that, but it's really the truth where, you know, I, I think that having that mentality of, of striking when you feel you have an opinion and having the, the discipline to lay off, sometimes it's hard to lay off, is, is also important too. But I, no, I, I think the, the overall discipline picture and, and, and uh, game selection is, is tremendously important. Why don't we go ahead and get started with our three races from today. The first race we're going here from Saturday at Saratoga was race number six. It was a maiden special week going one and one sixteenth miles on the turf. What were your thoughts on the race here, Matt? 
Uh, you know, this is a tough one, right? You got a lot of a lot of firsters uh, coming into the mix here, so it is a little bit of a guessing game. Um, but I did I did spread a bit, but I, you know, I also did have some some opinions, you know, uh, on horses that have run, but also or a particular horse that has run and and some some first time starters. I started with uh, the number two uh, uh, pivotal mission, and I just felt that uh, looking at that first start on the turf, going a mile and sixteenth, um, you know, just a little over twenty twenty one days ago. You know, I just felt that it was a lot better than what it looks like on paper. Um, you know, to, going back to that post-position discussion of being drawn outside, first time out, if you watch that race, just got hung out wide quickly, and, and at that point, trying to save ground, just, just put yourself in such a, in a difficult spot. And coming home, just off, off the turn, swung way wide. I felt made up some nice ground coming through the lane, and I just – I just felt that that race looked to me a lot better than, than what, what, it, what it would say on paper. And I love the fact that, the, that this horse is drawn inside. I think will be more forwardly placed, have an opportunity to really show the talent uh, that I think uh, Pivotal Mission has uh, with, with Ortiz aboard, with Jose Ortiz aboard. So that, that was uh, one of my, my top picks here. Uh, a few other horses that I did like, I thought the three American Monarch was, was interesting. But also, I thought there's some knocks too. And I, I thought it has a nice work tab, and this is something that uh, I would say one of the one of the few positives of COVID of just being able to dive into some of these projects that I've been wanting to get into in horse racing. Um, you know, one of them being a pace model that I finally completed. But the other one is is doing more in regards to workouts and progressions of workouts. And I just like the way that this horse progressed into this race. I thought it was just telling me that this horse is ready to run. Uh, on a fitness standpoint, but also getting this horse out quickly and a couple bullet drills to, 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 to get this horse ready to run first time out. The, the knock for me is, is the Bill Mott figures, um, you know, first time out with two year olds, you know, I just looked at, you know, the, just a, you know, a stat over, over time, over five years, you know, 232 starts, 6% wins with a negative 42% ROI. So, I mean, obviously numbers that don't scream, Hey, want to bet it. But again, I, I, I just there was something about the progression into this race. If I got a price, I certainly would want to would want to uh, include, and I felt I, I got that price there. But uh, you know, another one I like to wanted to include there uh, was uh, Fire at Will. I felt was ready for this race again, right back to that post position. I wound up uh, demoting this horse there just because of being set up on the outside. Um, so you know, interested to see uh, was interested to see how, how, how that horse ran. And then obviously you can't uh, you can't really you know miss the one with uh with, with secret potion i mean it's, it's he's got ortiz you've got chad brown um you know obviously it comes down to price but i mean this is this is where this is where chad you know d- does his best work when you look at first time starters uh you know going along in the turf so i did spread a little bit here i didn't have a, a really strong opinion but my top my top play in, in this particular race was the two uh uh pivotal mission a quick question on Secret Potion. Do you think that when a horse like that goes off at 2-1, to one, do you think back last year, the year before, this is absolutely like a, a horse that would be 7-5 to five for Chad and that maybe people are getting into the, oh, maybe he's on a cold streak and not going to fire as many times now? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I made that comment to a friend of mine right right away. You know, this, this horse in years past would be 6-5, to 7-5, to five. God only knows what it would have went off at by the time the bell rings. Um, so yeah, I think even in two to one, I felt there was equity there, and, and it was a use for me at the end of the day, given given the price. 
Um, because again, I, Chad has proven over many years that this, this is what he does so well. And I just think that it's, it's the easy thing that we talked about before of just saying, oh, you know, Chad's falling off the cliff, so we can't use him. That's, that's not the case at all. And I think going forward, I think you might get some, some nice value. If it is that two to one, I, I think value is all relative to, to what you, your expected uh, odds are. And I think two to one was, was a bit of a premium on, on the source. For me, American Monarch, I, I laugh as I, I look back at my notes from handicapping. I just wrote Monster Pedigree playback next time. And just from seeing the uh, the Mott numbers, just I know that he can hit with a price here and there. But like you said, 6%, that usually 5% and under something where I almost don't think it's unbettable. But I would need something at least double digits to even like, you know, think about it. I, too, ended up on the two pivotal mission. When you see the buyer par is a 72 and the horse runs a 53 and it's a troubled 53, maybe that number could have even been a higher, a high five type buyer. If the horse shows normal improvement, could be very dangerous. Are you at all nervous at this point in the meet now with good barns like uh, Grand Motion being over on the meet? Does that kind of make you a little bit nervous and need that better price? It, it, it does, but. You know, again, it's it's just hard to say. Is it is it the overall stock of horses that are in Saratoga, or is it just maybe a bit of bit of racing luck? You know, I'm willing to give trainers, you know, over the over the long term that that have success, I'm willing to give more of the credence to the what I feel about the horse rather than the trainer. And we know how this goes. It's just like any other sport; it comes in waves. All of a sudden, you're over whatever, and then you can't lose, right? I mean, it's I think it comes in droves and. To me, if the horse is pointing me in that direction, and yeah, okay, uh, we're looking at a, at, a, at a cold trainer, that can turn quickly, and I think you can get some some equity for it. And again, I felt the off odds for this horse, I felt were were, were very good given uh, given what my expectation was for uh, for for the price. So uh, it 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 gives me gives me thought, but again, it does it's not to me an, an overwhelming uh, issue to when it comes down to actually playing a horse. I know you like to play the pick five. This was the start of the pick six. What did you do from a wagering standpoint? Uh, I, I I did. I had uh, a loan A with uh, with the two, and then I, I backed up with uh, the three, ten, and the one. Actually, I'm sorry, three and the one, and I had the ten as as a C. Again, I'm, I'm a huge fan of of uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm a huge fan of of Declaration of War. I just especially first time going along on the turf, I just felt that the post position to me is just enough that I want to look at this horse next time out. And I, I bumped American Monarch up to a, to a B. I just, again, looking at the works and just because of the recency of a lot of, a lot of workouts that I've been looking at in general, I just felt like this had that type of progression that I'm looking for. But, you know, like I mentioned with those stats with Bill Mott, it's just not what he does. So I had the two as an A, and I had the uh, the three and the one as Bs, and the ten as a C in the multis. For me, it was a pivotal mission in the season finale for the Daily Gallop head-to-head tournament. Let's see if Chad Brown's secret potion can get him heating up again. Can pivotal mission get Graham Motion off the duck? Or if we have another great Son of American Pharaoh here on the sixth, right now. Secret potion from the rail. American Monarch away well and up to challenge. Inchitatis is a close-up third. Just in behind is Pivotal Mission, who's down towards the rail. And on the extreme outside, it is fire at will as the uh, two-year-olds go around the uh, clubhouse turn. 
It is Secret Potion, who has the lead here by a length. Inchitatis runs in second, and Pivotal Mission is on the inside. Next in third, with American Monarch running in fourth. Break of two to fire at will in fifth. Hilliard is in sixth. Esperanto runs in seventh. Then it's Hidden Enemy in eighth, followed by Mystical Man in ninth. And a Free Spirit is the trailer in tenth, through a quarter in 25 and three-fifth seconds. Secret Potion pressured here by Inchitatis. Secret Potion leads by ahead. Inchitatis is right there on the outside in second with Pivotal Mission sitting just off them in third. Alongside is American Monarch next and fourth, Fire Will and Hilliard. Their heads apart, fifth and sixth. The half mile in 50 and three-fifth seconds. Farther back it is Esperanto and then Hidden Enemy and a Mystical Man. And the trailer is Free Spirit. The leader is still Secret Potion, narrowly over Inchitatis. Fire at will, begins to fire up on the outside, along with American Monarch. Then it's Esperanto, Pivotal Mission's going to need some racing room as the field comes into the stretch. It is Secret Potion down towards the rail. Alongside is American Monarch, American Monarch, Secret Potion. And then we come back to Hidden Enemy, who has gained ground into third. Pivotal Mission had nowhere to go. They come down for the finish, and it is American Monarch to win it by a neck. Secret Potion was second, and Pivotal Mission finished third. And then number three, American Monarch gets it done, paying sixteen sixty with a buyer of 72 right there at the buyer par. Actually, a bunch of these ran within the par if you knocked it down a couple points as well. I think the top five ran at least a mid-six. So it was a pretty competitive race overall. Thoughts on the race, Matt? Yeah, I thought, listen, I thought, I thought it was a good race. I think it was, it was a lot about trip. Um, you look at a couple of horses in particular. I don't know if Pivotal Mission would have won the race, but we got a really tough trip down uh, down in tight on the rail. I had to swing out. Uh, once, uh, you know, once this horse got free, it just, just kept coming, and I just felt with a cleaner trip might have made that uh, a lot closer. But, you know, listen, American Monarchs had a really nice trip. Um, you know, my thoughts on, on the workout side of things, I think, played out. They wanted this horse uh, forwardly placed. I, I felt that uh, the horse would be fit uh, from what I saw and just, uh, you know, laid close to that pace, got, got, uh, got in good position and, and wound up kicking on in the end. And, again, I, I think <laughs> – Fire at Will is a horse that I circled immediately that I want to play back. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think just got that terrible outside trip. Um, just never really was able to save any ground. I thought had some some nice kick uh, coming down. Um, so that's that's a horse I'm definitely going to play back. But uh, no, got to give it to the winner. Uh, I think the uh, you know this <laughs> American Pharaohs on, on on grass is really starting to bleed into the uh, the tote system. I felt this horse would be double digits like you did, Spencer, but uh, off odds, I believe, yeah, seven to one. Um, you know, I, I just uh, I feel like it's, you know some of these American pharaohs on grass are taking more money than they should. But hey, gotta give gotta give credit where credit's due. That's a great first time out effort, and uh, I thought it's had a nice trip and, and got the job done. And that's the thing too, when people use oh, as many do that that standardized odds line that we're making ourselves. If the if we think the horse should be ten to one, he's seven to one. We know based on our handicapping IQ that if we hit this horse X amount of times, we won't be able to make money off of it. Well, other people sure. But for me, I much rather would have a horse like Pivotal Mission, who, like we said, had the trip that people might not have seen, had the one race under its belt already. I feel like a horse like Fire at Will now just turns into Pivotal Mission again for the, for his second start as well. Yeah, and I think it's again, it's a great point of of, of price comparison. 
Um, I use that especially um, when it comes to the, the tournament structure, right? If you're in one of those mythical NHC type uh, type tournaments, like if I was playing in this, I would have gone with Pivotal Mission. You know, mm-hmm. I, I pegged a fair value on Pivotal Mission at, at two to one, off odds of seven to two. To me, what the expectation of, of, of winning from this horse was very high with that type of line relative to what the board was telling me. It's just, that's where I see value where most will look and say, well, American monarch seven to one, I'd be ignore a horse like that. I just felt like you, I needed, I needed double digits or more just relative to where, you know, I felt, you know, this horse's chances were for, for, for winning. And I had this horse pegged at, uh, at 12 to one. So, you know, again, I, I think it does come down to, comes down to price and it comes down to where your opinions are. And uh, no, I think you're right. I think it, it's over time. If you can, if you continue to bet those horses that are below what your expected value is, you know, again, it becomes a, it becomes a tough grind on the, on the long-term ROI. And I know people will complain and say, Oh, you guys are still playing lower price horses compared to the higher price. The horse lost by less than a length. I mean that when horses are losing by less than a length, I start to put like the luck of like, was it, you know, if he was one path inside or outside, that makes a difference. Like, if you're within two lengths, your horse ran well. Yeah, and then listen, I, I would, I think this is a great race to go, uh, you know, I know you, you just listened to it, but I would go back and get the visual of this race. I mean, got completely shot off on the inside. I mean, had, yeah. to, had to change course, swing outside, and still made a really good run. And I always look to when, when the horse has trouble and gets out and into the clear, you know, d- does this horse level off and really start to really start to drive? I felt that 100% here. So I, I think it would have been a lot closer. Again, I'm not going to make the judgment of whether or not uh, Pivotal Mission would have won this race, but it would have been a heck of a lot closer with, with a clean trip. But, you know, again, that's that's turf racing, right? I mean, that's it, it does come down to trip a lot of times, but, uh, you know, there's nothing to uh, – it's one of those bets where I didn't cash the way I wanted to, but I'm not upset with the bet that I made given what I saw on the track. Let's jump into our very next race. It was the exact next race. Race 7 at Saratoga. The grade 1 ballerina. 7 furlongs on the dirt. Return of Serengeti Empress. And Bellafina outside of California as a favorite. Say what? Matt, thoughts on the race? You know, Bellafina is one I just kept going back and forth from. It's like I try to look at just the the performance i don't care if it was run in california if it was run you know out in the middle of the ocean i don't care where <laughs> just like give me the give me the competition give me the give me what i feel is the talent level relative to to what it what uh, what the horse is facing today and then let me do the pace analysis and see how it fits you know i felt bellafina was a big player in this um i, I thought I had a major pace advantage um you know should have you know company with Serengeti Empress early on. I felt that Serengeti Empress is, uh, you know, that that's, that's the goal is to get out to the lead and uh, you'll have cookie dough along with, but that's, you know, again, uh, it's cookie dough is more of a cheap speed type of type of player here uh, on the early pace. Um, I felt that, you know, Bellafina would have the, the, the class to, to sustain that type of pressure and be able to, 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 to carry on. Um, so I, I did think highly of Bellafina in, in this race. I also thought Serengeti Empress, if could shake loose, could could this could be the race to break through here. And and I, I felt like this might be the right setup if uh, you know other horses take back or you know if there wasn't a pace. You know, like I always I always laugh when Andy Schilling says there's a ton of pace on paper, so that means there's no pace at all in the race. <laughs> um, you know, everybody just kind of kind of takes hold and, and, and pulls back. They could be just a perfect setup for Serengeti Empress here. So I certainly did. Uh, 
I certainly did like San Diego Empress here. Um, horse I was against was Come Dancing. I just wasn't I wasn't a fan given the talent up front with with with, with speed. I didn't feel like I don't know, melee closer, but I felt like there were better closers in this race. And one I, I had at a price that I did include was Victim of Love. If this thing totally collapsed and fell apart, um, in terms of my pace figures, had just a, a huge late late pace advantage. And just my worry was not being close enough to that early pace, just having too much to do with a talent would carry um, you know, a horse like Bellafina or Serengeti Empress across the finish line. If it did collapse, I felt like this was the horse I wanted coming off the pace. Um, so for me, you know, the top players were going to be Serengeti Empress and Bellafina. Uh, I did have uh, on, on, on some, some tickets with, with bees. I did have Victim of Love. Um, you know, th- those were the primary players that, that, that I had here. Again, short field, tough, tough, tough race, uh, but I really felt it was either Bellafina or Serengeti Empress in this one. So my quick question would be, were you surprised at all with how the board ended up as they went into the gate? Um, I was a little bit, um, I thought come dancing took too much money. Um, but I also thought again, when, when the public is aware of these statistics about Bellafina's success in California and when Bellafina comes to the East coast, like what the success is there obviously is totally different. It's night and day. I felt that had something to do with it. Uh, I felt there was some, um, there was there was some trepidation on taking uh, uh, Bellafina. I think that's why I was surprised he five to two. But I think that's ultimately like if I came to a conclusion, I think that's why. Um, I was also surprised with Pink Sands uh, going off at nine to two. That seemed yeah. to be the buzz horse. You know, every uh, every podcast and you know just listen to, to Sirius XM in the morning. It felt like you know Pink Sands came up constantly. So I wasn't surprised, but I was if that makes any sense. Sure. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I thought Bellafina would be a lot, uh, a lot lower in, in odds, um, and uh, I thought Serengeti Empress would be a little bit of a higher price. But I also think it was the right field. So there's a lot of a lot of tug and pull back and forth. But I would say the one Spencer that I felt that was a little bit higher than an expectation was Bellafina. I will be 100% honest. I knew Bellafina was in the field. I went right to her. I made sure we were at Saratoga, and I crossed her off right off instantly. Um, and just <laughs> when when you, when you look at the race, and this is. Just for me, every time Serengeti Empress and Cookie Dough are in a race, all I keep hearing is Cookie Dough is going to be with her on the front end. And I understand that, but like, yeah, every single time we've watched the race, Cookie Dough always falls out first. Serengeti always seems to always still be there, whether she wins or loses. So when I keep hearing this articulated every single race, it's the same old story, but it's the, the definition of insanity. Oh, it's going to change. Now all of a sudden Cookie Dough is going to have, you know, the service juice and stay on with Serengeti Empress. And it was driving me a little bit loco. I'm not going to lie. I have been on Serengeti Empress all year, all the losses, the one, the one win. And I just couldn't take it anymore. I jumped off and I actually ended up on come dancing. I just, when I was looking through the field, I was trying to find a horse that might have ended up being a price. Also with it being in the daily gallop head to head contest, I needed not so much a win. I needed to boost up my ROI a little bit to try and make the playoffs. So I was going to try and find a horse that I thought would be a decent price, thinking that this horse would go up in odds and then ends up going off at seven, at three to one, seven to two. I was honestly shocked by that. When you look at this race overall and you see a horse like people always say, you know, all oh, these horses, they get retired too soon. And we see this type of field where Bella Fina and Serengeti Empress, 
This was a very good rendition of the Val Arena, I thought. I thought it was fantastic. I, again, this is where I've heard some flack, you know, not surprising from, from Twitter. It's where, it's where the misery go to live. But it, it's, you know, when hearing a lot of, you know, just all these short fields, let me tell you something. I've had more issues <laughs> and just more head-scratching, uh, you know, decisions to make in these short, shorter fields at Saratoga the last couple of weeks than mm-hmm. I've ever had. I think this is a great competitive race. I mean, you can literally make cases for every horse in this race, except in my opinion for cookie dough, like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. there's a difference between speed and there's a difference between sustained speed. And there's, there's this zero sustain in in, in cookie dough. And I felt it at at best would be a a pace issue, but with cheaper speed types against quality, like Serengeti Empress and Bellafina, it doesn't really matter. It really doesn't matter how fast cookie dough goes. It's just not going to be a, a factor late. And the ability for the, the just these these high cruising speeds. And I know I say it a lot, but you know, uh, Mitch uh, Rich Migliori's uh, comment of, you know, it's not how fast you're going, it's how you're going fast. And I just feel like that's what you get with Belfina and Serie Getting Empress. It's they have that high cruising speed. They might be going fast on the clock, but in terms of what their what what their ability is, um, I think there's going to there's so much more sustained. Uh, uh, sustained pace in, 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 in both of those horses that it just it's not really much of a factor but you're right I just felt like you could make a case for just about everybody else so it was a very very competitive field and you just have to make decisions you know if you, if you bet everybody every race you're definitely going to lose right I mean it's, it's, it becomes a losing proposition when you really spread to me I want to try to make a, a more narrow decision uh, going into a race like this so yeah you're right it's very very competitive field a lot of different, a lot of different directions you could have gone you are uh... Got through the first leg of that pick six. Now we're starting the pick five. What were you doing from a wagering standpoint? Uh, for me, my A's were uh, Bellafina and Syria and Empress. And then uh, I did one up doing the lone B uh, with uh, Victim of Love. For me, it was the number seven, Come Dancing. Let's see who wins this fantastic race of the ballerina right now. On the outside, it is Latruska going for the lead, and Cookie Dough is there. Serengeti Empress was off just a step slow, but is now moving up from that inside post position and is going up to challenge Latruska for the lead. Serengeti Empress now pokes ahead in front. Latruska's running in second. It's a break of two. Back to Cookie Dough next in third. Bellafina runs in fourth, followed by Victim of Love, and then it is a Come Dancing. And then a break of four or five lengths back to the uh, trailer. Pink Sands in seventh, a quarter, 21 and three-fifth seconds. It is Serengeti Empress down on the inside. Latruska on the outside. They are heads apart for the lead with Cookie Dough, the long shot, just in behind in third. Bella Fina's on the outside in fourth. Victim of Love is down at the rail and gaining ground now from fifth. Come Dancing, the defending champion, is in sixth, but will be wide coming to the top of the stretch. The half mile in 43 and three-fifth seconds. And now there's room on the inside for Victim of Love. Serengeti Empress is still there. On the outside, here's Bellafina. Serengeti Empress, Bellafina, victim of love down at the rail. A 16th to the finish. Serengeti Empress trying to hold on. On the outside, it is Bellafina. Serengeti Empress is going to win the grade one ballerina. And she did it in the time of one minute, 21 and three-fifths seconds. And the number one, Serengeti Empress, gets it done, paying 830 with a buyer of 98 For all of you In The Money listeners, Jonathan Kinchin owes somebody possibly lots of money. <laughs> it's, it's really funny, Spencer, like coming down the lane where, you know, 
I wasn't sure, you know, was Sergey ever going to stop? I mean, just given the pace, and then it just once you once you get that real that idea, uh, that strong visual that uh, you know Sergey ever going to pull it off. The first thought that pops in my head is like, oh, JK must be uh, not having a great day today. <laughs> it's funny how those uh, those those random side bets uh, come top of mind, but. Uh, let me tell you, Serengeti Empress, I am absolutely shocked won this race, and it's not because of, you know the talent. Like we talked about before, was one of a, was a top one of one of two top plays for me in here. Um, but when you watch this race and just the just sustained pressure, and and didn't get didn't get the race mm-hmm. that this horse wants. Uh, you know, I she broke flat footed. She had to get up in, into the race. You know, her style is to get out there. And, and, and to be on on the lead, and just I it's just a very strong sustained pressure by by the by the the the, the horses we thought, and then at one point you know I'm thinking, Sarah Ever's going to finish last. I really thought that this mm. would just be uh, uh, just you hearing those fractions coming out. Like there's there's just no way. And I'm starting. To, I'm I'm more looking at the back of the pack, and I'm really starting to feel like my uh, my victim of love at ten to one. Is going to be the one to pick up the pieces here. I just Belfine at that point was really one paced, and and didn't see didn't see much coming from Herb. And then Sergey Empress just found another gear and kept going and going and going. And I tell you that that's that's the fan in me watching a race like this, watching Sergey Empress win a race like that, how she did it, I thought was phenomenal. Going from literally thinking she'd be off the board to being in the winner's circle, I think is awesome. And uh, you know, just great to see for for Tom Amos getting in the winner's circle with this horse and. Uh, yeah, I wonder what the final uh, tally is going to be for old uh, J.K. and uh, Sergio Ampers. For you as well, seeing Bellafina run a, a decent second, is it, oh, maybe she can run? Is, I think the main factor is I still don't think that she can win outside of California. She might be able to put good races together outside, but she's still always going to be that overbet underneath type horse. And until we actually see her run a, a winning race outside of California, I'm still going to try and be avoiding what – shocked me the most was that ptf was on this horse too and i it kind of made me go back and look and did i miss something no it's i'm still thinking the same way yeah i, I think you get to points where like so here here's where i was and why i included pelofina as an a i felt if the race came up right in terms of the the pace i i felt could grind out a win it, i felt belfina is good enough to be in the mix and be right there at the wire and, you know, there's question marks in Syria and Empress. I, completely tough cookie dough. But then you're looking at, you know, the come dancing. And you're looking at, you know, victim of the horses that can really come strong off the pace. You know, I just, all of that factors in where I felt like Bellafina still fit in this field and still, I think, deserved attention. Now, to your point, going forward, uh, listen, you got to beat me. <laughs> That's it's, it's one of those now where... You know, I, I just feel I was on the fence and 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 kind of used in, in more of a middle ground where you know going forward you're gonna have, you're gonna have to beat me and it's one of those horses I'll be happy to lose to going forward. Nothing against the horse uh, uh, individually. It's just when you see something happen so often, you know, it's tough to jump off. But you know, I just it was more of the visual coming down where I felt it was very a, a very um, you know it was, a, it was a nice second, but I just felt like I expected more punch coming down and, and being able to, to to get by in the end, but. Uh, now, Belfina going forward is going to have to beat me, especially on the East Coast. Let's jump in to the last race of our podcast. It was race number eight at Saratoga. It was a grade three Troy going five and a half on the turf. I know who you liked, but let's hear about it anyway. <laughs> you know, when you look at, 
you look at this field, it was it became clear to me who I liked and who I definitely uh, did not like. And um, you know, th- there were a few horses in here that I was a little bit surprised at how much money they took. Um, but I can also understand. I guess I can understand it too. If I'm trying to be be uh, logical to it, of you know, infamous the one. I get it. Long layoff, 280 day layoff. Um, I just felt that this horse is is the absolute class of the field. Um, you know, I thought ran ran okay uh, out at the uh, at Santa Anita in the Breeders' Cup Sprint Turf Sprint. It's that quirky five furlongs, and I know the the the, the new player may look say, well, it's five and a half. It, let me tell you, it's a, it's a big difference, especially the way that configuration was at, at Santa Anita and, and and changing it from from down the hill. I thought, you know, I, it was almost a toss out for me. But this horse has also proven in the past that can come off the bench from a, from a long way off. You know, if you go back to, uh, you know, first race of, of 2019 was off 187 day layoff and, and comes back and, and wins pretty convincingly and has them in the tank. And uh, I just felt that not only do I feel the talent is there with this horse has run again so much better. I understand the layoff. I feel this horse is ready to roll. And, and then on top of that, the, the pace, structure of this race i think would just be sitting off a fairly contentious uh up, up front speed and you know like i thought uh, american sailor would get out there and, and set the pace i felt that uh you know pure sensation which uh you know from our last show spencer the uh the divorce documents are, are still in place uh did not have pure sensation anywhere on the ticket um i felt it'd be nothing more than just a, a pace factor and, and pushing american sailor I felt infamous. We were right behind, sitting right there, saving ground, tip out in the lane, and just get the job done. And uh, to me, uh, infamous was a lone A. Uh, I did, uh, I did back up with uh, the two American Sailor for the reason of just on a pace factor. If for some reason American Sailor can get away, um, might be tough to catch. But you know, again, I just don't know the status of Pure Sensation. If Pure Sensation and Check Shabazz really are intent on getting the lead. That just even sets it up even even better for uh, for for Imprimis. So there's so many different factors, and, and again, if 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 American Sailor's left alone in the lead, that's the only way I can see uh, that horse winning. I just felt so many so many arrows pointed to, uh, to the one Imprimis, and uh, to be honest, a little, little surprised on the five to two. I was very surprised on the two to one for Chewing Gum. Um, not on any of my tickets at all. Uh, I really felt that this race went through uh, went through the one Imprimis uh, in the Troy. When you see a horse like Chewing Gum, because that was another horse that PTF had given out on the pod, not as a, it was like as an underneath use or just as like a, a solid B. When I saw this horse take so much money, I was just, does that scare you at all? Because I know that sometimes when that happens, uh, when I'm at the track with my father, he'll instantly just look to put a double together with the uh, the hot action horse. And sometimes he wins, sometimes he loses. But I just, it can't all be Joel money, can it? Um, I think it, I think it can be. Um, you know, in in general, uh. Joel Rosario to me is is a phenomenal jockey. I don't care what distance or what surface. When you're talking about turf sprints, I think Joel Rosario goes way to the top of the list, right? Mm-hmm. And so I do think it was it was a jo- it was a Joel Rosario factor that did that did play into this. I just felt chewing gum would be just too far off the pace. I didn't see a complete pace meltdown, but then horses that would be up or close to the pace have that staying power. So I, they have 
they have late finish. So they got a nice high cruising speed. I just felt it would leave chewing gum with, with too much to do. And again, yeah, I, I think to answer your question, I do get a little nervous sometimes. And what did, it's always the question, what did I miss? Right. You start kind of looking back mm-hmm. and I look back, I didn't miss anything. I really felt confident that I didn't miss anything. The only times I will, I will get really nervous is when it's a first time starter yeah. and uh, I don't see connections or anything like that, uh, you know, going in any, going any direction. Um, that makes me nervous. But when you look at past performances and, and just in different setups, this horse has had needs a meltdown of pain. This needs a really hot pace. And I just didn't think that, yeah, you might get a, a quick pace, but I don't think it's going to totally melt down either. I will uh, just give a couple quick thoughts. Uh, Impermiss I thought was strange off the layoff to end up in a grade three. Usually you don't see, you know, this horse won the shaker town last year. Usually you don't see grade two, possibly grade Grade one horses end up in grade threes. I think it might this might have just been the starting point, prep into the bigger race. A horse like Shecky Shabazz, I mean, you go from the Juice Meister into a race where the buyer didn't really regress too much, but regressed enough that even how hot the Clement Barn is, I don't think he was going to uh, shake that horse around. So uh, you divorced Pure Sensation? I married Pure Sensation. I was just looking for that price <laughs> and the other Clement, and I just... Kendrick Carmouche has been having just one of the roughest meets of all the jockeys, and I just thought he gets on a speed horse. He knows how to get those horses out of the gate. I thought if there was ever going to be a turnaround for both of them, this might be the spot. So I ended up pure sensation as my wager for the Daily Gallup head-to-head. What about you from a wager perspective? For me, Lone uh, was infamous. It was a, was a big key uh, in, in uh, pick fives uh, as well as uh, as well as the pick six. Um some light coverage underneath with uh, with the two American Sailor again, just on a on a pace play and, and projection. If, if uh, that horse can shake loose, but you know, like eighty percent, ninety percent of my tickets were worth through impermiss in this race. Let's see who wins the Grade Three Troy right now. Bit of a slow start for Pure Sensation, but is now moving up from the back of the pack. American Sailor is out first. American Sailor is the leader with Shaki Shabazz racing in second. And Imprimus is next in third. It's a break of two to Pulsate in fourth. Then Lon Twist, followed by the gray, Pure Sensation. And Chewing Gum is the early trailer in seventh. They are strung out as they go into the far turn after a quarter in 21 and four. American Sailor showing the way here on top, two and a half lengths. Shecky Shabazz is racing in second, and then it is Imprimus next in third, followed by Pulsate in fourth, farther back, Lon Twist, Pure Sensation, and Chewing Gum, who's down at the rail. The field is in the stretch. It is American Sailor. Here's Imprimus now, ranging up on the outside. Imprimus has now taken the lead. American Sailor dropping back in tight there, Shecky Sabaz and Pulsate. It is Imprimus in first place as they come down for the finish, and Imprimus wins the Troy off the layoff. Close for second between American Sailor and Shecky Shabazz. And the number two, American Sailor, does win, paying 1680 with a 94 buyer. But before that had happened, there was the DQ of the number one, Impermiss from first. I will give you one minute and 30 seconds of vent time, Matt. Your time starts now. <laughs> Well, I'll start off by saying I'm glad we're having this conversation now than uh, maybe Saturday evening. Uh, I'll give you the, uh, the PG-13 version versus the, I think, the R-rated version. Uh, I think it's a disgrace. I mean, I'll just be completely honest with you. This horse won under wraps. Was uh, a, I felt a slight bump in the lane. 
I didn't feel like it altered anything coming through. And, uh, you know, again, it's, it's tough to take the, the, the personal feelings out of it, but this is the second week in a row I've had, I've had stewards take significant money out of my pocket. And I felt this one was even worse than, than last week with, with Sadler's joy. Um, I, I just, I just think it's, it's inconscionable. I, I think it's absolutely horrendous. And, you know, anytime I go to Twitter at event, it's usually a pretty bad case. Cause I'm usually not that guy, but you know, I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't bet a dollar into the pools for the rest of the day. Uh, I just felt like it, it was one of those scenarios that makes me think, do I really want to continue putting the money that I put into on a regular basis into these paramutual pools when my analysis is correct, the sequence of the finish is correct, and yet I have the opinion of someone else that decides whether or not it becomes financially to fruition. Now, I know it sounds like the whiny side, but I'll tell you what, just for my, in terms of my personal betting, I'm not the biggest better in the world. I'm not the smallest. I'll average probably over, I'll be over a half million in handle this year. Again, I'm not the biggest on the planet. I'm not, I'm not the smallest, but it really gives me cause for pause when it comes to putting the kind of money that I, I do put in. Um, just having consecutive weeks in a row for this. I, I just think that the, the stewards are all over the place. I, I don't think there's consistency. As much as people want to tell me that they are consistent, I don't see it at all. The only thing they're consistent on is allowing herding, which is ridiculous in another another <laughs> sense. But once again, a horse under wraps, the best horse in the race gets taken down at Saratoga two weeks in a row. And uh, I, I thought I thought it was an absolute disgrace. I just I, I, I have no other words really for it, but uh I don't know. I, I just it was it was very fresh. Another frustrating event uh, for for the outcome. I had uh, I had not seen the, the race in real time, but I saw I saw the Twitter blow up. Obviously, for every DQ we see, whether it's Finger Lakes or Saratoga, and uh, I called my friend Vinny Real Dynasty Picks, and I said, you know how how bad was it? Well, he says it was it was it was okay by New York standards. I get home, I watch the race, I call him, I said, are you a steward now? Like what is going on? Like I just I. I I can't see, and maybe maybe it cost Shecky Shabazz a placing, but when a horse wins under wraps like that and it's so close for second and third, how you can just take the horse down to me, I just think is not the right way of looking at it. I think that, and I know everyone says we need this, you know, this racing, you know, we need a commissioner, we need this and that. I think we just need three guys in a bunker watching every race, you know, or even do it by, you know, West, East, South, like have three bunkers with people with just three stewards. That way we can at least get some type where we just get the same answer time and time again. There's been races where the same thing will happen back to back Saratoga Del Mar and it'll be two different decisions. And I think that's the hardest thing too when you're trying to get new players into the game because maybe someone uh for the first two years of playing could only play East Coast tracks. Now he's working, you know, a nine to five and can only play Del Mar for the last late pick five, late pick four. And when it's different like that, it gets really mental, and it just gets very difficult to watch and see. I, I agree. A couple of things you brought up there. I think for for new players, um, you know, and, and and new players not necessarily meaning the lower betting players. I think that's a that's a that's a key separation because mm-hmm. in the world environment that we're in right now, listen, I have a lot of friends that are big time sports betters that are getting into horses, and they're they're utilizing my analysis to do so. And the biggest frustration of of this, along with Sadler's joy. I was asked, Matt, you watch this all the time. What do you think? And my answer is, I don't know. That, I think, sums up the, the utter frustration is that I literally have no idea what the outcomes will be. There's, there have been so far over the, you know, 
all over the map. I literally don't know. I think that's that's the only frustration. I, I just don't want people to take this as yes. Did I lose money on this? And last weekend with, with uh, Sailor's Joy, I did. I definitely did. I lost. <laughs> I lost quite a bit of money uh, in terms of winnings. Uh, a Breeders' Cup betting challenge seat in the Whitney contest. A lot of things to check the boxes there. But for me, I don't care. Like the money aside, I don't care about that. It's just I don't know what the decision is going to be. And every instance, there should be a clear clear advantage one way or another saying yes i believe this is coming down or yes or, or no this is not the case i have absolutely no idea that that's the number one thing and i agree with it i think it should be like hockey it should be you have a a uh you know you've got the war room so to speak one location that takes a look at these races there that to me would give consistency over multiple circuits on to what is an infraction what is not an infraction and what is is liable for a dq or days and fines. I think those are two different things. I felt that this could be an instance where a jockey fine, suspension, something like that, albeit minor, but you're, you're killing the better who obviously bet the right horse, a horse that was clearly the best in this race. And I think that's the frustrating part. I think it's just when I can't give folks an answer of, of what my opinion is, because I literally don't know, the response, and this came back again from one of my friends that's a big sports better. It's like, Matt, if you don't have a clear vision of what the outcome is going to be here, how in God's name do you put your money into this? And you know what? <laughs> Unfortunately, part of it's correct. You know, that, that, that's, that's the frustrating part of it. So, but I will say time heals, and uh, you know, I did take a deep breath, and uh, I still, <laughs> still, still love the game. But, man, I'm telling you, two weeks in a row is, is, uh, is not good for the nerves. Quick thoughts on the favorite chewing gum running off the board and also on the winner, your B, American Sailor. You know, I thought the race just, I thought the, the, my vision of, of the pace was exactly correct. And that's always, there's nothing better in horse racing when you envision a race running a certain way and it runs exactly the way you want it. And it's even better when the horse that you really like is the one that wins. I felt that's exactly what happened. I was, I was impressed with American Sailor's ability to stay. And I felt, you know, I know your pick was pure sensation. I just felt that this horse is nothing more than just an early flash in the pan on the pace wasn't today. Um, but you know, I just didn't want pure sensation really anywhere. And, you know, I felt gee, Shabazz had, had, had a, had, had a, had a shot, but chewing gum, just nothing. I mean, there's, there's no, there's no finish. And again, it plays into, I felt that there was just far classier horses that would be closer to this pace that would get up. And that's what really confused me on chewing gum taking, taking so much money. So um, one thing I will say is, again, it's not that I don't like pure sensation. I, I had key bets with this horse in multiple big tournaments, like the Breeders' Cup betting challenge. Um, I love this horse. I think it's it just pure sensation has been so accomplished uh, uh, over, over this horse's career. Um, you know, this, this, you know, nine-year-old gelding, I'm, 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 you know, a horse I wouldn't bet in this case, but I'm just happy to see the news that came out afterwards that, uh, pure sensation, but given what I feel is the right thing to be retired and just retired as an unbelievable racehorse. So I, there's there's happiness that does come along here with pure sensation uh, going uh, going off the track. Just so everyone knows, I was married to pure sensation. We were divorced before the honeymoon even started. Uh, two more <laughs> things to go through before we get out of here, Matt. Uh, obviously, Travers and uh, Gamine's wonderful performance. Uh, didn't really think it was very interesting from a betting or you know handicapping standpoint, but just give me your quick thoughts on how those two runners ran and which one you thought ran better. 
Uh, I think I think Amin's a freak. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just you know, again, doing doing pace figures, and it's 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 the big part of my big part of my process. I'm looking at just these monster numbers, just just incredible, just early, middle, and late pace figures. I just felt like one to five justified. I mean, I felt like it would be a lower price, but no, I, I just felt like there's not a horse in this field that can really put enough pressure to make it happen. Yeah, Venetian Harbor, I felt, could be there, but I just don't feel is at the level of Gamine, given what this horse has shown and just absolutely proves it again. Um, so I was happy to see Gamine, uh, you know, really fire strong and just absolutely blow this field away. Um, and then Tis the Law, something special. Tis the Law is something special to watch, and I can care less about any of the, any of the speed figures. I really don't. It just becomes a horse that, uh, you know, that Mike Maloney push-button uh, horse that he talks about in his book, Betting with an Edge. It's exactly tis the law. You just you tell that horse what needs to be done to get the race won, and I feel that's tis the law. And uh, I don't know. I felt like tis the law understood uh, understood uh, English because uh, a lot a lot of talk about some horses that uh, maybe tis the law hasn't faced yet, and and would be would be shown the big competition. And uh, you know, obviously that wasn't that wasn't the case. And just really proud to see tis the law. Watched as a fan, didn't bet it, but uh, really nice to see tis the law finish. Uh, Finished uh, the way he did, and uh, I think as a shot at the uh, the quadruple crown, if uh, continues to the uh, to the Derby and beyond. I mean, and people like you know, all of a sudden you hear, oh, Gamine would you know give Tis the Law a run for his money. People are saying like, if you look at now what the Derby's going to look like, Art Collector won yesterday as well, ran a hundred buyer. He's probably going to be second, third choice in the Derby, and I'm just, I mean, this could be the lowest price favorite we've had in a long time, and this horse could win by. Five lengths in this derby coming up. I I agree, and that's why I make the joke of, of it being a quadruple crown. I think that if if Tis the Law can win fairly easily in the derby, I mean, don't you think this horse comes right back for the Preakness? I mean, um, so. I just I see that happening. I just this horse is something special, and, and again, it, it I feel Tis the Law exerts enough energy to get the job done. And I think that's that's one of the the this tremendous uh, assets of of this horse. Doesn't have to be the gamine that just blows a hole through the wind. Uh, I feel this horse is just tremendously talented and really is is proving uh, proving uh, this horse's worth uh, day after day. One last thing I didn't prep before, but obviously now we have the talks with the jockeys having to you know possibly give up time in Saratoga to go to the Derby. Uh, obviously Manny's going to go. Any other thoughts on you know who you think might defect and go to? Uh, Kentucky or some who might stay. If if you know if if I'm a jockey, uh, other than Manny Franco, I'm not going. <laughs> I'm just I'm just not. I just you know you have to look at this. I know it's the competitive sense, and and then listen, I get it. The the you know for me, you know, winning the winning a national title or winning the Stanley Cup in hockey is like the thing you dream about. But when you look at this, and I understand that jockeys will look at the at the uh at, at the uh, um, at this race as being, you know, the the, the, the the huge race. An opportunity to 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 win a Kentucky Derby is huge. I just think on a financial sense, uh Spencer, I think that most jockeys are gonna stay put and say, I can I have the opportunity to grind out a much better paycheck here than to go there literally run in a couple of races, run against a monster in the Kentucky Derby and potentially be, you know, uh, you know, detrimental financially over and then after quarantine, right? Cause you look, you got to factor all that in. Yeah. 
for me, if I'm a jockey, I'm an Asian. I'm saying let's let's stay put and let's 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 make some money in Saratoga. Two uh, two that I thought might just go. Uh, I thought maybe Ricardo Santana having the strong connections out there in uh, in the bluegrass, and then I thought also Javier maybe could go because I mean he hasn't won one yet. That's kind of like the last thing missing on his mantelpiece. But like we said, I mean he's going to end up facing a monster. But I mean we could always have uh, oh the horse that was uh, you know skipping and dancing two two jumps out of the gate a couple of years ago. We could have it where he just misses the break. You know that that's why we run the races. Yeah, no, for sure. And I'm not I'm not putting uh, Tiswa you know directly in the winner's circle at all. I just I think that becomes more of a business decision than a competitive decision. And mm-hmm. again, that would be my thought. But you know, listen, there's there could be guys in that in that jocks room that are saying, listen, winning a Kentucky Derby is the ultimate for me. And I think maybe this is the year that that I can be really competitive. But also, too, Spencer, I mean, it gives some opportunities for some local jocks to run. So I think that would mm-hmm. be pretty cool to see as well. But you know, for me, again, if I'm if I'm a jocks agent, I'm saying, listen, let's just let's just stay put and, and, and uh, let's let's try to get it back next year. That is all the time we have for today. Matt, thank you so much for coming on for a second time off the short layoff. Where can people find you on social media? You can find me uh, at BlinkersOn22 on uh, on Twitter. And uh, Spencer, thanks for having me again. Really, uh, really appreciate being on, and uh, just love uh, you know going over the races, but also talking about the aftermath and uh, what happened, and uh, and more importantly, how you can get better. So I really appreciate you having me on. Anybody who has any questions on Stats Race Lens 2, reach out to Matt. He uses it almost every day. He was one that once I finally can uh, get a little break and try to start adding stuff to my arsenal, I will be uh, peppering him with questions as well. Thank you so much. You got it, Spencer. Talk to him. Thanks again to all the great listeners and my special guest, Matt Vagvoldi. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Peter Thomas Fornatel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Cotney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time. Nowhere to hide from all of this bad